evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. We are back with social convos and we are pretty chill tonight. Stuff look a little bit different, trying out some new stuff. But without further ado, Sean, look, uh, what are we doing today? We postponed it an hour. Yeah. We're going to do a, how do we call this? A late night episode. And it's just going to be a real social conversation. So it's, it's going to be a little bit different. I want to try something differently as well. And I hope that it brings the same value as our regular podcast episodes bring. So for you, if you are tuning in live, thank you for staying up an hour later to join in. And for those of you who are listening to the recording, thanks for putting your trust in us that we can share some valuable content. So Diego, I do want to ask a question. In the announcement post, or at least the announcement official, you put a chessboard. Does it have a yeah. specific reason behind it? Well, when you told me make an announcement uh, today or yesterday, I was thinking, hmm, what would be appropriate to symbolize something we both value, something we both apply, and has some kind of deeper meaning behind it with just without just being a piece. So I saw this image on Pexels actually. That's where I usually get my stock photos. And it was like the symmetry is nice. It was black and white. It, it kind of fit the profile and it kind of highlighted the bishop in the chess piece on, on the chessboard. And I'm not sure if you've watched the new yeah. movie on Netflix with The Rock and Ryan Reynolds and Gail Gadot, where they've I've heard kind of, a lot about it. But yeah, have, uh, have, I think it's called Red Notice. Yeah, Red Notice. And they play the part of the bishop. So it's kind of a key chess piece. So kind of that's why I came up with the idea. Yeah, that this is kind of appropriate. And you are a avid uh, chess player yourself. So... What does chess mean to you? Well, what, what, what did you, you think when you saw it? it it's, it's interesting that you say that I'm an average, uh, average chess player because over the past year, I've played, I think at least 4,000 matches. 4,000. Yeah. Yeah. But I only play five minute game. Mm -hmm. I only play kind of like blitz. And the reason it kind of, if I have 10 minutes to spare, I want to do something that that's kind of, it gives me a reason to, to think, or I like, so I'm, I'm like a very precarious person when it comes to conversation. So for me, it's very difficult to have a conversation about nothing. Like I'm, I'm just not equipped for it. I want something to have meaning. I can't read novels. So if I read a book. It's either a personal development book or a book that goes into something deeper. So when I like am scrolling on the internet, I want to avoid that I scroll on the internet and just scroll to a Facebook page or a feed or an Instagram feed and just don't, not doing anything. So when I procrastinate, even when I procrastinate, I want to spend my time procrastinating. You want to get something, something valuable. That actually builds a skill. Yeah. I want to get something valuable out of it. So when I lose a chess match, because I'm just kind of just playing to get my head on decluttered and unstressed, then I don't mind it as much because in a way it brings value. So even, even in times when I'm kind of like looking for to escape reality, as they call it, I still want to do something that stimulates my mind in a certain way. 
So I haven't, first of all, I've never been taught chess. My daughter has been taught chess. And that's when I realized like, okay, I could probably be a lot better at chess if I would just get lessons or if I would just do puzzles. But for now, taught chess, do you mean yeah. like, you know, the rules, but you haven't ever actually ever been, you know, had a formal instructor had a lesson. learned strategies and etc. You just learned the rules basically from the box or whatever. Yeah, I just, I just started playing online with no knowledge. So like, I don't know if you know what the ampersand is, which is like, if the chess piece, if your opponent moves the chess piece and you just pass it, like with your pawn, you just pass it. It's mm-hmm. called Ampasan, which is a move that I think you don't learn that move in, in regular chess lessons as one of the first things, but it was one of the first things I learned because I had no idea what it was and I had to figure out like, how is such a move allowed on the board? But the reason why I learned about, about that is because I just started playing games of chess just for, without having an account on chess.com, you can play like against bots and then you can go certain levels. And the first time I started playing, I just started memorizing stuff like certain situations because the bots, they always kind of move in a certain way. And because the, the ones that you get to play against are very limited for free without uh, creating a account. So I just started playing and I was, okay, I want to beat a, a 400 player now. Okay. I want to beat a 600 player now. I want to beat an 800 player. And at a certain point I was getting to like. I could beat like the 1300 player, like a 1300 chess player, but I couldn't beat the 1500 chess player. Whatever I did, I got frustrated that I couldn't come up to the level of 1500 uh, ELO. And so for reference, what, what is like the, the best chess player ranked at, if you, if you had to rank them in, in points, where, where, where do you fit in this, this skill or how does that scaling work within chess? Okay, so if you have like no experience with chess, people at five should just to start at consider five hundred, four hundred, four hundred elo, and then when you have you know the basic rules and you know kind of all the rules and all the pieces of what they do, you should be considered to be at least eight hundred. But when it comes to tournament play, like most players that play tournaments are like fifteen hundred. That's like basic tournament level, which is not a lot. But then you know really how to play. Like somebody from Suriname is representing or what just this past month represented us in an international tournament. And he was kind of ranked like 1500 or 1600. And then when you get to 1800, that's when you start really getting into like, if you want to become a FIDA master or a national master or an international master, that's from the 1800 up to 2000 when you really start getting to that. And then when you get to 2200, you get to being a grandmaster. Like that's kind of like, and then you go up to the 2600 and even 3000. Like there are a lot of online chess players that are ranked 3000, but in like regular chess, which is like really, there's no time increment. This you, so you get to think as long as you want about a certain move. And then it's, I think Magnus Carlsen is around 2800. But you do have to understand because I'm telling you how I finally was able to be, be a 1500 player, but it was a 1500 computer who kind of always plays the same five moves, which you can at a certain time 
predict the patterns and the moves. And you can go back and those kind of things. So if I would play like a 1500-rated player in real life, 9 out of 10 times I would lose that match. If I would play an 1800 player, I could play for days without ever winning a match. What, what would you say, if, if you look at it from a development and skills point and learning, is that that gap from 1500 to 1800 being actually able to win? Is it like reactive? Is it like thinking 10 steps ahead? Is it what, what, what core competency within chess do you think for you, you at least? For chess is the thing is you can, you can cheat, you can cheat the system. Like there are people who've just played longer than you, or there are people who are just better that have better insight in how the pieces work, or you have people that have better opening strategies, or you have people that have played against your style often and know how to win your style. Because like up, up until 1500, everybody that plays has a certain preference. Like when you get to the 1500, you really kind of all, or you're all around, you know, kind of how certain attacks work, how certain gambits work. You're able to recognize gambits and play gambits and know kind of like at least 10 openings, like the first 10 moves. I don't know any opening. I know that there are certain openings that I like to play, but I don't know what the correct order of those opening moments is. So when we talk about like competitive chess players, Basically, if you're an amateur, like just doing it for fun, you can, you cannot beat professional chess players. It's just like any sport, like tennis, like, or basketball, you could hit a ball, you could shoot a, on basketball, you could shoot the ball into the hoop. But then all of a sudden, when you play a match, you have to know how to dribble, but also have to know how to dribble without the opponent stealing the ball. Yeah. It becomes subconscious behavior, actually. Like. But you also have to be able to shoot in rhythm while somebody's running at you. It's like a completely different game. And it's basically the same with chess. So like I can have a favorite opening and I could actually beat like a 1500, 1600 player once because I used a certain opening and they got caught off guard or they weren't sharp. But 99% of the time they will just beat me because they're just really better. And to a 2000 player, could even tell me like, listen, I'm not going to play with my queen. You can play with your queen. I'm going to remove my queen from the board. And they will still completely demolish me. Wait a hand. I probably think a grand, no, a grandmaster could probably play without all of its rooks, without all of his bishops and without the queen and still beat me because you just won't be able, they're, they're so far advanced with, with the way they think about the game that it's, it's not even close. It, yeah, it's not even close. It's just not even close. People don't really understand how, how good, like a grandmaster chess player is. It's like, it's on a different level. Like when we see a lot, we see a lot of YouTubers who are great at chess and they YouTube about it, but those people often are like international masters or female master, grandmasters or female masters. But like, I think the two people that are like really at the highest level that really have like YouTube channels are Daniel Nagrowski and of course, sorry, Hikaru, Hikaru Nakamura. Those are kind of the two 
like real, real legit. And a couple of guys from Chessboro actually who are really good. And yeah, but even for them, like they are GMs and they often play guys who have like no official rating with FIDA, but are like 2,500 and up and they get caught sometimes as well. But those are really people that if you would play against them in a park, you would have no chance whatsoever, like zero. Very interesting. So we got some comments uh, coming in from Giuliano. Uh, yeah. I, I think he's tagging some friends here because we're talking about chess. So yeah, feel free to invite them over. Mitch, what's up? It's been a week now since you've been on our own wizard talking about DeFi. If you missed that episode, check it out. He also shared some very, very useful links on Facebook. We still need to incorporate those in the, the post, but if you are interested in DeFi, Mitch is your guy, check out his links. And Sue Ann is joining the chat as well. Yes, yes, seen that notice. Pretty good movie actually okay. for uh, actually The Rock's production studio, their first movie on Netflix and they broke all the records. So that, that was pretty That's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I have to ask, have you seen the Queen's Gambit? No, I, I heard it's good and I know it's about chess. I tried watching the first episode, but I just couldn't finish it for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah, I, I press play halfway through. Yeah. It just did took kind of a relatability issue, I think as well. And I don't know if I wasn't, if I wasn't that big in chess at the moment that I watched it, if I would have watched it because it's a different perspective, but it's really, it, it, I kind of went back to the scenes of the movie to kind of figure out that. And it's funny because one of the things that is mentioned in, in one of the things that's mentioned in, in the series is the, the scholar's mate, which is a really funny checkmate. It's a three move checkmate basically. And if you play against the beginner, like somebody who has just learned how the basic pieces work. You can easily pull a scholar's mate on them. So, so that's a really funny, like real life scenario kind of thing. And there are a lot of these scenario things in there as well. And actually the move that one of the moves in the series, like one of the defending moves that the, the not the main character, but the, the main opponent always plays, that's actually become one of my favorite moves as well. So that's, that's kind of a, a, a very interesting, interesting way to approach it. And I think the second thing that I really find interesting is there are like the traditional chess openings and the new chess openings. And I really prefer playing the, the newer openings. Yeah. So for me, uh, I get what you mean with the rel relatability and I do like yeah, uh, shows or a series where, you know, there's a lot of mind games, a lot of strategy. So. For example, I, I, I do like, you know, the, the Sherlock Holmes series, that stuff like that. But yeah, for, for some reason, Queen's Gambit that j just didn't get me. So maybe I'll give it a shot in the near future, but yeah, uh, for this time. Yeah, I have to figure out. So, so I think one of the favorite, uh, and then we're going to stop to talk about chess instead of making a chess episode. But one of my favorite YouTube channels is Agat Mator. Alain Mator is, is this where he kind of, he explains like classical games and he goes through them and he explains everything. And I think that was one of the best, best ways to get into to chess because it tells you a little bit, like you can understand what a, gra a grandmaster is doing actually. Not that you would be able to pull off those moves, but you can 
kind of relate as in, oh, now I understand how the game works. But that's about it. If you would play that game yourself, you would be lost. So, so, so pivoting from chess, so you, you've mentioned some, some moves there, some combos, some finishing moves. If you relate that to like real life scenarios, to opportunities, has there been anything, anything recent or something that comes to mind for you where you say, huh, if this were chess, it would play out like this or where you apply the same matter of thinking within chess to, I guess, navigate through a, a situation. I'd see more as brain stimulus because here's the thing. I'm really more of a checkers player. I don't like multiple. So I only play chess, blitz, blitz chess, which is five minutes each. You have five minutes on the clock. That person has five minutes on the clock. And I play it because it gets me creative. I can be behind, especially if you're like around the 1100 player. Uh, like I am, I mean, it's more about creativity and finding ways and new ways to explore the game than really being good at chess and really winning every match. So it's fun for me when I play a match and I'm behind and I come back from behind just because I see certain lines that my opponent doesn't see. But it's not like I'm really studying the game to become better, to become like a, a, a competitive player. Because those things are not kind of like what I'm seeking for. And I'm more of a checkers player, but checkers kind of, there's like a plateau where you can't go any further unless you really start studying the game. And I'm reaching the same point with chess. I did some studying, watching YouTube videos when I kind of hit like a certain uh, threshold. So I did do that. But to relate it to like real life scenarios is... I don't think I'm looking at it and saying like, ah, this is something from chess, but it does keep my creativity going and it does help my mind to be busy and to find opportunities and ways. And I think like, okay, I'm stuck here. Uh, I don't know what to do. And then just, just let it go. But always finding a solution, always finding a way out. And the problem only, the only problem I have is like, I don't, play regular chess because it's too long like if i'm playing a game with a friend or with my dad or with somebody else i don't mind it lasting half an hour but it's not like i'm gonna sit there and i'm not a big puzzles guy so i won't be sitting there for an hour thinking like how do i fix this issue i just move on lose and move on to the next yeah got Chess and checkers, there's more variables. And if you add shogi to, to that layer of complexity, the, the Japanese kind of chess generals game, I, I've, I've watched that and like, it, it's just crazy. The combination and rules that you have to know and, you know, apply. So pivoting away from that. So we wanted to talk a bit more about, you know, opportunities for people here and also We've mentioned this a lot in previous episodes on, you know, look for opportunities. We had Moreno on who kind of, he, if you want an example of someone who, you know, 
navigates and grabs every opportunity he, he can. It, it's Moreno Jackson. So check out that episode for, I think, if I remember correctly, he was within four years, he traveled, I think, 23 times or 22 times for one, uh, for an exchange program or something as an opportunity. So what other avenues do you think people should look at if it's not being able to travel abroad, but, you know, to develop so themselves here? It's so much. So the reason I wanted to bring up this topic is because, and we're, we're having a really big, the issue that we're having currently is bigger than we think. There are a lot of people leaving Suriname at the moment. There are a lot of young, talented people leaving Suriname at the moment. And they're all leaving because they have opportunities abroad. They have opportunities to go somewhere else. They have opportunities to have a better life, a better lifestyle more education, whatever it may be. And it's kind of hard to say to like, stay here. You rather tell them like, just go. If you're able to get the opportunity, you should definitely go. I'm grateful enough to have had that opportunity. And I value that opportunity so much that I wish that everybody in Suriname would have the opportunity to experience that as well. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've also seen parts yeah. of the world and I think people underestimate how important that is for your general development. I think one of the, the most underrated qualities of somebody from Suriname is like most Surinamese people, you can put them anywhere in the world and they are survive. Like we like to talk about all the negative stuff about Surinamese people, but one of the main characteristics of Surinamese people is that you can put them anywhere in the world and they will survive. And often they will be able to adapt or understand the culture better. No, they don't even excel. Because here's the beauty of, of growing up in Suriname. You have all these cultures. And of course, there is discrimination and those kind of things. But you're used to seeing two cultures together, living together. We're used to seeing that. And so wherever we go in the world, we don't have the kind of idea like it's not possible. We always believe it's possible. And it, it also kind of put you in a situation like, hey, if I can survive in Suriname in these, in these situations, if I'm in a country where I have a better situation, I'm actually having a better situation. And there are, of course, extremes. Like, there are also people coming to Suriname who would have it even worse than the situation that we have. And for them, Suriname is actually a better option. But I think what what is being underestimated a lot is that there are, first of all, more opportunities than ever for young entrepreneurs, young uh, professionals to get opportunities abroad and live abroad. But there are also more opportunities than ever for doing the same thing that you were going to do abroad, learning the same skills that you were going to learn abroad, and actually stay in Suriname. And I do feel that you have to actually live abroad first to understand the opportunities that you have online while living in Suriname. I, I, I agree with that statement. It, it gives you a different perspective, a different set of appreciation of, you know, the situation here, because it's, it's not always rosy in those first world countries that you see in the media all the time. It's not always, uh, you, you hear the numbers, you see the lifestyle, but 
you don't see what's happening behind with all those regulations, laws, working hours that, that goes paired with it. So I, I do agree that experiencing that firsthand is very important. And of course, if you've never been, if you get the opportunity, I'd say do it. Don't even think twice about it. Grab it, go. If it's for a few months, if it's for a few years, get that exposure and then come to your own conclusion. I definitely agree with that. We, ha we have some more viewers. I don't think I've ever seen Reno in our uh, chat before. Well, he, so he, hasn't commented, he hasn't commented before, but Reno, welcome. And I think, I think you, you touched on a valid point there. I think for people that don't know what it is like to be just a number, like in Suriname, we're kind of like this, this small community of everybody knows one another you already already know somebody that knows somebody it's it's um, easy to it's way easier here to get connected with one of the ceos of the top company than if you were in somewhere with millions of peoples and then yeah you're just a number yes just being living in a city with one million people that's kind of already something that you have no idea what it's like but you, you mentioned something interesting like connecting because i feel like it's much easier to connect with somebody now. And I feel like, and, and you, you, you're going to have to help me with this, Diego. I sometimes feel like we're much more afraid to commit to a certain online community. And I don't know where exactly that comes from. So let me give you an example. Like you're a very big, uh, fan of Tom and you follow his stuff. And for me, it's really hard to pick a community, go and become active in their, in, in their discard, become active in the community and stay active and be a part of that knit. And I'm not sure if, if that's the same for a lot of other people in Suriname or that it's something else. I get where you're coming from. And I do have that sometimes as well, especially with a lot of online communities now. I think it's a sense of relatability because, for example, in this past year, I, I, I'm part of the Fee Friends community, but as you mean, I, I'm not as active in the Fee Friends community. I, I just check the Discord every day, look for the notifications if Gary posted anything interesting, and that's it. And uh, every now and then I'll, I'll do comment if I see something interesting, but that's about it. I'm, I'm part of the OnDeck community as well. I did the fellowship there, but I haven't really followed through with that community yet. And I think that part is more, uh, a sense of intimidation for me, at least like the, 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 the group of people, the, the class of people, the, the breed of people there, you're like, oh, fortune 500 people are, are in, in those communities. And it's kind of intimidating in, in that sense. We do have, there was a tight knit group that meets every week and now like every two weeks and there are a few people that you know whole are the glue that holds it together but in tom's case impact theory for example that kind of hit different for me i think because i relate more with the type of content and the way he thinks especially i think i, I don't remember who who it said i think it was, was it gregory but someone in our, in our close circles told me that he sees some resemblance of, of, of Tom in, in me in personality and thinking wise. So I, I think that resonance matters. And also if I look in the type of content his posts, 
the mini communities that, that are in there about, you know, comic books, uh, manga, anime, uh, video games, kind of gamifying all that stuff. It is kind of up more my alley. So in, in that sense, I'm, I'm kind of more active in, in, in that community. So that, that's kind of how I, I look at it. If, if we're talking about online communities and there's many more discord communities that I'm in, but yeah, I, I, I do. But it's also committing. So, so I'm trying to figure out like the, what the, the what commitment part. To commit because the, the biggest problem is we're afraid to commit. So for, for me in, in that specific community, it's, it's like the, the project that he's, uh, he's doing that there's something to talk about there. The, shall I call it the hype cycles? I, I don't know how he, how he does it. But you're looking forward to the next call or the, the next session. For example, there, there are weekly, like 15 minute sessions where you, you have, we have a Q and A and there's a lot of, lot to unpack there. And equally, if I look at what the possibilities are with on there, for example, there are a list of opportunities there as well, but I just haven't sat down because I don't think there is a, like a, a figure or a, a person there that. I can match up to like uh, reflect and go through the content or go through the opportunities. It's, it's more, so I, I'm not as committed there. If that makes kind of sense, that's kind of how I'm unpacking it right now as we're talking about it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out because from a, from a business perspective, there's something called super fan and like what these communities kind of do, especially like the big guys. They have like complete structures in place to get you from being a casual fan to become a super fan, from being a super fan to be really getting value, high value out of it. And there are like four or five people that I'm really interested in, but you have to commit to one because you don't have the time to yeah. get all the information from those five different people. So at a certain point, you're like, either I'm going to be like, okay, I'm just going to take whatever's in my fuel at the moment or you just really going to commit to one and i think that for me is one of the most difficult things i've kind of uh, if i look at my time at the university I, i've also kind of learned to skim through information like I, I have certain filters set like oh these channels are well there's relevant stuff and then i just skim through it real quick look for keywords and once you get the hang of it, you start even searching for specific keywords. So that's how I kind of filter Twitter as well. Yeah, but then you're not really connected and part of the community. If you understand what I'm, I'm mm -mm -mm. So, so what people don't realize is that, or I think we might realize it, but we don't take advantage of it enough. If you really commit to something like a small community, it's pretty easy to get into the top 5%, the top 1%. Oh, oh yes. A, I'm, I'm going to give an example, like with NBA Top Shot, I'm a top 4% owner. Like I'm like in the top 25,000 of the world, which sounds like nothing, but if there are like a million people doing the same thing and you're top 25, it would be the same thing if there would be like a thousand people being busy with it and you're in the top 25, just to, to, to put it into scale. So. It's really easy because in Suriname, it's really easy to be the best of something in Suriname. Like it's not really that hard. If you commit to something that is not very familiar in Suriname and you spend three to five years on it, you can easily become like the number one specialist in that specific field. 
because there's just not that much competition. Now, if you, you are the best in Suriname, you could be like the top three in the Caribbean, the top five or top 10 in Latin America, and then maybe the top 100 in the world. Like, take our top sports, uh, sports, sportsmen, for instance. Like, we have a couple of champs. That's really how good and how much talent there is. But it's easier to become a national champ than it's to become a Caribbean or South American champ or American championship. So to put that in perspective of business, and then you realize like you can easily have like for your business be considered among the best in the country. And then when you extrapolate it through Caribbean, all of a sudden you're not there anymore. But from opportunity perspective, if you would just dive deep into and commit to a certain person, like you see somebody who is influencing you a lot, whether it's Kerry Vaynerchuk, Grant, Grant Cardone, uh, Guy Kawasaki, like any of any figure that's publicly kind of sharing knowledge, and you really dive into their community and like authentically care about what's going on, authentically kind of interact with others, help others out, you can easily get into the end crowd. Definitely. And I think something to look to as well is the size of their, I guess, community following through fans. You mentioned a few, you know, people in business there like uh, Gary P. He has a huge following. I, I think I, I'm not sure about Grand Kado, but Guy Kawasaki for the old days as well, huge following. And if you look at these communities, sometimes too big is kind of also too big because the, the gap is bigger. And if, if you find a smaller community, if you have persons uh, you look up to who have I, kind of a, a, a tighter knit community, like the, the reaches to them is even smaller. It, it gives you a, a better connectivity or, or a better sense of commitment because the, the gap is smaller. And so you have the, the probability of maybe directly interacting with this person is actually there that they, they see your comment and actually respond to that comment. So maybe that's another thing to look into that if the community is too big, that might be too intimidating, find a, a smaller community. And I think that's where Hive is still very powerful because it is a very small, tight-knit community. And talking about the rankings, the with you, for example, NBA top shot, top 4%, it's very easy. I just quickly checked the, the Discord server. I'm pretty casual chatting in the Discord server, but they, they have like some gamification with bots and give you a level. So I, I just checked my rank and I'm, I'm a level 12 now. And I'm ranked number 233 out of 56,000 people within the Discord of, you know, chatting, co commenting. That's already kind of an in crowd, uh, a, a small crowd. So people start to recognize your name. People start to recognize your profile picture. And I, I, I want to go into over under later on PFTs, but yeah. And. Also in, in, in gaming, for example, I started playing Gods Unchained like three, four weeks ago and people who play the alpha, obviously they're, they're going to be, have the best cards, the highest rank tournament players, kind of like chess as well. But I played it for like three weeks and I've managed to rank up all the way to mythic. That's the highest tier. And there are only like 250 players in mythic with 25,000 players right now. So 
committing actually to it. Yeah, of course, there's some, you know, NFT and monetary reasons trying for to make you that. aren't you? You are trying to make me sick. I'm not. I, I, I just, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's a great. I, yeah. I, I'm just saying the, the, the percentile, it's kind of more accessible because the community is small. So that that's kind of how I see it uh, from that perspective yeah. as well. If you can get an early, small, tight-knit community, you kind of, you, you get more alpha, yeah. alpha experience. Yeah. So I think, I think that's for, for me really like for people just watching the show or just listening on to the recording, I do want to challenge you. I would just want you to kind of write down names of people that you feel like if I could, I would work for this person. And, and just like one even, even, even better, yeah. would you work for this person for free? Yeah. And just start as you, especially if you were willing to work for this person for free, just to get the knowledge, start engaging with their community, not with them, because they have no idea who you are. And there's like nobody in the world who has a following over a million is just going to be like, oh, this random person from Suriname just sent me a message. Maybe I'll just spend an hour with this person and ask them how their life is and help them out. I mean, like, no. Just spend time and effort, maybe even a year or longer of just getting to know the community, getting to know how the person. You know what I love about Gary Vaynerchuk? It's like, he always says, don't just listen to what I do. Watch what I do. You can learn a lot by just watching. And... I've never bought a course of Gary because it doesn't exist. I have purchased items from him, like his shoes, but. And the books. And the books. I never paid, which I haven't read all of his books either. I just have book, Gary V books here. I have read through them. I got inspired, but I didn't even finish them. Because what happens with Gary is like, if you start reading, you get inspired and you want to do, and you just put down the book. And if you're a doer, you will just continue doing. And I'll be like, in a moment when you have like, you're down or you don't feel motivated, you can pick the book up and you can continue again. And I think for a lot of people, they just consume the content. They're like, yeah. And then they just drift back into their own thing. Whereas for me, I've never kind of, he has never given me personal advice, but I owe a lot of my success to him. Just by watching kind of, oh, this is how he approaches. Can I do something similar? And in some cases, I kind of copy the things that he does in a way that works for me. And in other cases, I realize like, but I'm not that kind of person and I don't have to do it. So I think there's so much opportunity to in the online space, but also to connect, to find opportunities. And I feel like we do have like the role for our generation to, to get more out of it. Like I hear really disheartening stories of people who have graduated, who have a university degree and they're sitting at home saying like, I can't find work. And I'm like, how's that possible? How can you have a university degree and, and not work? And I think it's not fully fair that I think of it that way, but that also relates to seeing the opportunities. And you were asking about chess. For me, it's like, if you have a chess piece on the board, you can still play. You might not win, 
you might not be the number one winner, but but you can make it hard for them <laughs> to make yeah. it. Yes, yeah, and you can you you could be somebody who's brave and achieve something. And there's also the idea that yeah, if you have money, then you can just copy the idea and do it. Like no, it's like you, if it's not where your heart is at, you can have all the money in the world, but you will not have the same enjoyment as somebody who just does it because he or she loves it. And I just think there is so much opportunity and it kind of, so if you're like listening to this and you're in Suriname, you're like a bachelor or a master's and you can't find a job, come talk with me because I could give you like 10, 20 ideas to get your mind motivated and find a way that you can at least earn something from it. And I feel like we're really missing the opportunities and I do have to give a shout out to ICT Association because they had a event today talking about the idea of why ICT is so important and what the technological innovations are. But they're talking at it so much from a policy perspective and not from a, a practical perspective for young professionals, like people between the ages of 18 and 30 that are really like not getting the opportunities or don't understand how to get the opportunities that are there for them. So I do feel like I do want to do something more also with social confluence, do something more that people realize like, wait a minute, I do have these opportunities. I have the internet. I can do something. Let me do something with it. And I feel like we're not doing that enough. Even me personally, I'm not doing enough. I could do more with that. Oh, de definitely, definitely. Me, myself, yeah, there's so much that we could do, but just not doing because one, no, you just don't want to take that step or too scared or coming up with excuses. But I, I do want to emphasize one thing you mentioned there about, you know, you could have all the money in the world to copy an idea and it would still fail. And I want to emphasize that thing. people are, especially here, I feel too scared to share their ideas with that exact fear of someone with more resources, swooping in, copying it or buying it. And then, you know, they they kind of lost the idea. And, and in my opinion, you can never lose an idea because you never owned an idea. It's just an idea. Well, you can own the idea. I mean, you could go and patent it, like get a even then a, a patent. But then, you, but then you have to work for it as well. Yeah, get a patent. It, 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 it matters in the execution. And if you keep that idea for yourself, no one's going to see it. One, you won't get investors. Two, you won't get customers. Three, people won't know that you're the one who came up with it. So kind of. Or you don't find out that it's, it's not for you. Yeah. <laughs> so. I would encourage people to just, you know, how stupid it may sound, how nerve wracking it may be, please just share it publicly and get prepared to receive feedback, negative, positive, whatever it be, get prepared to receive feedback because that is, you know, the, the data point that you'll need to progress. And even if you fail. Because I, I think I mentioned this once, I, I heard this from Tom. He said like, you know, failure is the most information rich data stream that exists. 
So you can learn much more from failure than your own failures than an actual success of somebody else. Because you only see success of other people. You don't see the shit they went through. So right. th th that's kind of my short rant on don't keep ideas for yourself, you know, to just share, build in public that, that that's a movement that's kind of been going on as well on, on, on uh, tech Twitter as well. People building stuff in public, receiving market validation, like within hours actually, and sharing it and then, you know, reiterating that idea. So that, that's the one thing I would encourage if you're talking about opportunities and ideas. It's like, uh, Thomas Edison said, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. <laughs> exactly. And even he, and I, don't, don't it wasn't an idea and it wasn't even his because he didn't talk Tesla. So it, so these things are so funny because it, it, I think people really want to take get credit for something that is just an idea and they don't realize with how many billions of people in the world that you're not the only one who had that idea. Exactly. You, you just aren't, you're not that unique. Like, and somewhere, some point in time, somewhere in the world, a couple of thousand people had the same idea as you had. And all of those thousand people, maybe two or three actually executed that idea. And one actually got rich of it. It's like, uh, and, and, and the others are using it because it solved their problem. Exactly. So like, this is one of the things that I like to say, like in any kind of course that's about entrepreneurship, I don't care about your business plan. Just show me that you've sold either a product or a service a hundred times and tell me the track record of that product selling it a hundred times. How, how many of these hundred times were people satisfied? How many of these hundred times? Did you figure out that somebody wanted something else? Only of these other times you realize like it's not a product, but actually the problem that the product or the service is solving. So these are like really things that people are like, yeah, I need a business plan. And yes, I need funding and I do need that. And I did, and I went down, down that rabbit hole. Like my first business, I created like a complete strategic plan for the company and everything. And. The biggest mistake we made, we over, overbought stock. So we were there with that stock and we're like, we weren't able to do anything with it, but the money was tied up because it wasn't a dead stock. I would still encourage people to do it. It's a good mental exercise. It's a good way to fail. Yeah. If, no, because if you again, it. you need those hundred sales to yeah. know where you stand. Like, do people really need this or is this product or uh, service actually providing a solution to the problem that people have. And in most cases, it's not. In most cases, it's just like, I want to do this. It's like, I always say in social media, like we have a lot of clients or a lot of companies that come up to us and they're like, yeah, we want to start with Facebook and we're going to do social media marketing. And like, how did you get to the decision that you were going to use Facebook in the first place? And it's like, people have decided already which platforms they want to be on without even figuring out which social media platforms are most suited for my business. So these are kind of like small details that the, doesn't matter what kind of business you run, you always run into these things. Yeah, definitely. And to change up gears a bit, 
real quick. Linking up, but I think we could shift to some quick over and unders. And the first one I want to go with, speaking of opportunity, it's November and November is famous for, you know, Black Friday month, Black Damn Friday, it. Cyber Month. How did you steal that from me again? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not doing this intentionally. I, I guess we're on the same wavelength. Wow. <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, it's uh, November, Black Friday is right around the corner, Cyber Monday week. So Black Friday slash Cyber Monday, overrated or underrated? Black Friday as an event, as a one day event, it's kind of overrated. But Black Friday, the impact that Black Friday has is really, really, really underrated. Like people don't understand the psychological and the mechanics behind Black Friday and what it does with people and how it gears people kind of, I almost have the feeling that it's almost like Black Friday brought back the fun in Christmas. And maybe less in Suriname because it, 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 Black Friday brought back the fun, the fun in, in Christmas. Christmas. Interesting. And I'm, I'm going to elaborate on that. Like the reason I don't think it's necessarily the case in Suriname because it's Suriname. If you order something on Black Friday, you might not get it in time for Christmas. You, you get it. <laughs> so, so don't take that risk. But, and we've seen this for the past couple of years. But for me personally, it's like the, the Christmas fun was kind of dying off. Like you would really, and it's still for some, like from a, from a personal perspective, Christmas, like the way it was celebrated and also you get older. So as you get older, it kind of gets harder for people to get you gifts because they don't really know what you want anymore. Like when you're small, like anything can really make you happy. But at a certain point, you just keep getting socks, you know, there, I don't, it's like some people in the family still try to buy you a shirt or something, but they're too afraid because of the way change that they're. <laughs> But yeah, well, I say it's very difficult. So you get kind of hair, hair shower and, and towels and socks and like kind of these generic things where people are like, yeah, this can't go wrong. But like from a business perspective, uh, Black Friday kind of brings back like, yeah, I'm going to find a good deal because I know my niece or nephew wants this. and Maybe on Black Friday, I'm going to get the best deal. And similar with companies that kind of wait the whole year to buy stuff on Black Friday, that's heavily underrated. But what is actually heavily overrated is the kind of deals that there are online on Black Friday. I mean, the deals just aren't that good anymore. No, like, it's, it's been not just, oversaturated. With it's not worth waiting for Black Friday just for the deals because like these deals in general, it's like, yeah, it's fine. It, it's encourages consumerism, but yeah, you, let's not go into that. This yeah. episode, at least. <laughs> no, I do have to the same way or, or no, I, I, I agree with that part. Like as a phenomena, it's kind of underrated the psychological impact, as you said, but I find it grossly overrated. Same with Cyber Monday, tech stuff, et cetera. Cause now every company kind of tailors their marketing, their stock, et cetera, in this period, just to maximize sales and profit. And 
what you kind of get is, you know, you, you get a rush for semi-average products because the premium stuff, you don't get it. Yeah. All right. So based on what you spoke about, crypto gaming, underrated or overrated? Oh, humongously underrated. Oh, I, I think we asked Mitchell this as well, like specifically uh, one game, but the, the genre in general, I think it is grossly underrated. I think the gaming industry to bring it even further is grossly underrated. So if, if you combine gaming and crypto, two, in my opinion, very underrated subjects and you combine them. So I find it grossly underrated and why game I find gaming underrated is one, especially competitive gaming, esports, etc. It is a becoming a, I, I think billion dollar industry, but also as we talked about game development, it's kind of the forefront of technology. It's either game development or the military that drives technological innovation. So interesting that you bring that up. Yeah. So I'd say crypto gaming, definitely underrated, especially if you can get early access and in this case, find something that you enjoy playing. Don't, don't go after it for the monetary gains because it has to be actual game mechanics that people would enjoy, like that gameplay loop. So definitely underrated. That's just going to make me go to CoinGecko and check out the rights of a certain crypto. I think there are certain oh, yes. ones that are get overhyped uh, a bit now and then, but that's kind of the nature of, you know, the industry, uh, you see it as kind of a company in itself, but the individuals, everyone loves enjoyed and uh, playing games. You have your, the, the moms and dads who play on their phone, like the, the candy crush type of games. So there is a range of possibilities for people to try out. There's a market for everything, like m mostly everything. And you should look at it from, do you want to be on the consumer side, con competitive consumer side, but also on the creation side, there's much opportunity there. So much opportunity. If like, if people are watching that are creative writers, like are into writing, uh, about characters and those kinds of things, there are so many like XE, for instance, is looking for lore writers, like people that kind of write stories about these characters and actually just for the fun just want to jump into that hey i really you, you never know but if it's just for the fun i think that is the best reason if it's just purely for the fun yeah. and taste of it that is the best opportunity you can take without expecting anything in return and just pure enjoyment of the experience yeah. but yeah grossly underrated that one okay let's go to the next one I think you go first, right? Yeah. So yeah, Black Friday, crypto gaming. So my next one is PFPs. Cause I saw you have a high funk as a profile picture now on Twitter. Overrated okay. or underrated? Okay. Okay. So we're going to have to explain a little bit about PFPs to put it into context for like, yeah. You, you want to take it or? No, go, go ahead. Go so PFPs, uh, PFPs basically stands for profile picture. If you go on crypto Twitter or Twitter in general, you see people with, um, 
Punks, monkeys as the profile picture, animals or bears. And people kind of use this as their online identity in, in Discord as well. So a PFP is just basically a profile picture and it's kind of very much tied to the NFT space right now. And the meme is people just right-click, save that image and use it as their PFP. So in your opinion, are PFPs overrated or underrated and why did you switch? your high funk. I think I just switched for fun, to be honest. It's also, I switched to kind of give my support more so than actually thinking like, yeah, this is my true self because the punk doesn't really look like me, <laughs> but of the five that I have, it looks the most like me. So I had to make a decision about that. And I think it does give kind of people a sense what you're into and what you find interesting. So one of the game developments for NBA Top Shot is that they want to make it easier for people to see like what your collection is like. Kind of, this goes really deep. Allow me to just go into a rabbit hole for, for two, two, three minutes. So the traditional way of identifying someone was through their parents. Like if we go back like a hundred years, like one of the first questions that, for instance, Jürgen Reimann, who is like a famous Sudanese TV host, like one of the first questions that he asked in his- Who's your first, mom, who's your dad? Who's your dad, who's your mom? So who's your mom, who's your dad? And basically the traditional model of giving somebody identity is by saying, hey, that's the butcher's son. Or, hey, that's the teacher's daughter. Like, that's how identification worked, like previously. Just to interject there, a fun yeah. bit, that's how actually names like Smith and like those names kind of, because that was their occupation, their job, and that's, that's how the they got that family name. The, that's the traditional way of creating identity. It's just true, like, you have a profession and you're known for that profession. And your children are known as the children, children of that set profession. That's basically how it worked. And then things started to change. So culture changed and culture went to being the, the person that you are to being the person what you buy. So all of a sudden we got a generation where there was kind of this new wealth and within the new wealth, people were able to buy certain things and that would make them have a certain personality. So from a traditional perspective, it's like something like paintings. Like if you go to somebody's house and you see certain paintings, then you get an idea of like, okay, this person is kind of intellectual. This person is wealthy. This person is this. And that's kind of where kind of this, again, this form of identity comes from. And then when, so basically great examples are like Converse shoes. Like people say like, yeah, you have to have Converse shoes. Otherwise you're like not a student and you don't fit in this. Or you have to have Birkenstock slippers because it kind of symbolizes something. And, and that was kind of the marketing plot of things. So that was identity 2.0. And then you get into identity 2.0. I'm not sure if I should call it 2.0, but where identity basically is who you say you are. So it's no longer about what your actual skill is or who your parents are. It's no longer what you're able to buy, what defines who you are, but it becomes the way you present yourself. 
And that's where these PPPs come in. That's where the fake stuff from Instagram comes in. And there's a funny story about uh, one of my friends who is kind of an Instagram model. And she might be upset for me, but telling this, but luckily nobody knows who it is. But she kind of showed me like she took pictures and then she edits her pictures, but it's just not like we take, like when we edit pictures, we like, yeah, we can saturate it a little bit more and work a little bit with the contrast and those kind of things. But this was like on her phone, just Photoshopping the size of her head or the size of her arm or those kind of things. Like in real life, just at the moment there, I was like, wait a minute. And she was like, yeah, but that's, that's the style. Like, so you could meet somebody who you can see like, oh, I thought they had like a, a, a smaller waist, but then in reality, it was because the photos were shot. So these kind of things are really, there's also a story about, I'm not sure if it was a Chinese or a Korean man who was suing his wife because yeah. of the way of how the children looked because she had so much cosmetic surgery and facial surgery. Her original look was completely disappeared. Yeah, you got the look of the original look. So these kind of things, like your weight, like wait, 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 what, what? The but DNA it, is strong. <laughs> but it kind of gives you an idea of where identity went and like how identity now works, like a completely different spectrum. So it's no longer about like what your actual skills are and what your profession is. It's no longer what you're able to buy, what kind of defines what your personality is and the kind of person that you are, but it, yeah. So the first two are like completely gone. And now it's basically how you present yourself. And that's kind of a bit, big trap because if you can present yourself better than you actually are in short term, you might gain something from it, but in long term, where? But, but now people aren't even using photos on the, themselves. They're actually using a animated or a drawn. Yeah, because it's. It, monkey it, or it's something. kind of the, the status it presents, like I'm able to afford this, or this is, so it's kind of related to both the first and the, uh, the, the second and the third dimensions I've described. One being like, this is what I bought. So this is what I represent. Mm -hmm. And then it's also about, it doesn't even matter anymore if you bought it or your, but you just represent it. It's just saying like, I mean, like I could put a Porova pick of a board ape. Yeah. Like people would actually figure out that I don't own it, but it's just, why would you do that? Like for me, it doesn't make sense, but for other people, it makes sense because they're proud. And, and these little lies, if you're sharp and you catch people in it, they really shrink because they're like, oh my God, I got caught. Either they get offended by it or they like completely shrink and they don't want to talk to you ever again or stay away from you because you caught them red handed. Insert over or under? I think it's heavily, heavily, heavily overrated in the long term. But right now, it's it's probably rated. Yeah, I, I think for for the culture shift to Web three, I think it is still underrated, in my opinion. But I, I can see for the long term how it could shift to overrated. But right now, in the next I'm going to cycle in the next cycle, at least. Sorry, oh, repeat that no. car. This is a car. Yeah. Car brand. Yeah. Like for me, 15 years ago, I wanted an Austin Martin. 
Aston Martin. I always wanted Aston Martin, like mm. Steve Denine or something, something like that. I was talking about 15 years ago, 10 years, yeah, 15 years ago. I always wanted an Aston Martin. I thought that would be a super cool car. I was like, oh, wow, this is an awesome car. Now, I could give care less. I just want a car that drives me from place A to place Z. Like the, the brand. perspective. <laughs> yeah, but so these kind of things only matter for a certain amount of time, for a certain amount of people. Like for others, it's, it's just, it's like, where's the value in it? Agreed. But yeah, that, that's how I see it at, at this stage, at least. So you got one last one to go. Yeah. So since we talked about gaming and we talked about chess, Tetris, overrated or underrated? Tetris, I think it has become underrated right now. Again. Again, yes. Well, why? Tetris is kind of like, if you look at gaming history, Tetris is one of the key games in, in all of gaming history that kind of made playing on a device popular and even competitive playing popular. A simple concept of stacking blocks on each other and, you know, a race to getting the most points, getting the most lines and actually thinking ahead with speed, a speed element as well to, you know, stack things strategically. And now you can even pocket uh, a shape, etc., and to use it later. So I, I think it is underrated right now. And because the sheer simplicity of it as well, anyone can pick it up anytime. And they are remixing so many different types of Tetris right now with effects, etc., with combos. But the core concept of Tetris gaming, I, I don't see it going anywhere. And it, it will have its resurgence probably in, in the gaming world in one way or another, probably in the metaverse. If we look at the metaverse gaming, maybe in, in 3D, because it's such a simple concept, it would be one of the easier models to implement and yeah, for people the to will be lower. virtually come together and, and actually maybe build something. So I, I think Tetris is underrated, very underrated again, because you haven't heard of it in so long either. Do you know Joseph? Joseph, which, which Joseph? I'm not sure what it's, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Joseph is like a 15 year old world champion of Tetris, world of classical <clears throat> Tetris. I don't know, 15, 16, I don't know. He's a little bit older now, but there was a big rise of Tetris due to his involvement and okay. being such a young player and kind of destroying the field. like. People who have been like legends for, for decades. So uh, if you're interested in Tetris, if you like Tetris, if you like playing Tetris as, as a young, as a child, you should definitely check out World Tetris and the World Cham Championships and, and Joseph. It's very, very interesting. And you might find yourself watching way too much Tetris, but you, you will, you probably won't regret it. I, I want to sneak in a less last one. As you mentioned the keyword there, you'd be surprised how much you'd enjoy other people playing a certain game. So the last one is streaming, watching other people actually play 
a video game that you could play yourself, underrated or overrated? I'm going to go one step further because I think we unconsciously realize it, but we don't consciously realize it. And I'm going to go a little, throw a little bit curveball. My son wants, to, and my daughter as well, like we get upset that they are on the tablet or on phone or something on a device. But, and we're like, yeah, and they don't go out to COVID, but my children actually watch a lot of YouTube videos of other children playing with toys. And I'm not sure it's a good or a bad thing, like from a, a parenting perspective, but like they pick up a lot on how to use certain toys just yeah. by watching the videos online because there are a lot of YouTube videos of children, but also adults who kind of show how certain toys work and the gameplay and they create. So we look at it from like more our generation perspective, going to watch the Twitch stream, just looking at what other people are doing and like learning from that. But our children are already like the next generation is already, it's kind of programmed in. Like they want to officially see like, okay, I need to do this. How does this need to be done? And they will just go to YouTube and be like, there has to be a video on there that will explain it to me. And we might still do that for problem solving. Like if we have a big issue like, see like, okay, can we fix this? Is there a way that we can find it? But for them, it's also entertainment and it kind of bothered me for a bit. Like, why would you, you know, why would you actually just go watch other people play on YouTube? But then it started to dawn on me, like, wait a minute, like, these are levels that we're not familiar with because this is the first generation that's growing up in such a way. Yeah. From that, that perspective, yeah, I, I think it, it is. If, if you look at it, development, it, it's kind of still underrated what the implications are and actually also the industries that you could be a streamer and make a living just showing people stuff. <laughs> yeah, but also you got to put effort in it. So I, yeah. I do feel we should close off with that because we talked about a lot of opportunities, a lot of games, a lot of ways, but you do have to put effort into it. And I do feel like I'm really worried that we don't put as much effort into it as we should. Yep. Eventually people might end up like, if you've watched Wally, the, <laughs> the people in the chairs. So let's not make that happen. But I think let's end it on that note of, you know, opportunities are endless, especially online. And to these shout to, I guess, any of us, if, if you want to spar or, you know, just share or vent. But with that being said, Sean, look, I, I don't have anything to add or any fancy outro this episode. Everyone to tune, who tuned in, thank you for tuning in again, even though we were delayed an hour. So thank you guys. And yeah, Sean, look. So just a simple exercise, write down the people that you get inspired by and who you work for for free. And just instead of saying like, I want to work for free, you can do that. But Instead of giving that advice, I would say, get to know the person, get to know the community, get involved in the community, especially if it's an internationally known person, get into the community, start interacting with people, like-minded people. You'll be surprised how like-minded sometimes they are. 
and grow from there. But start building, start the opportunities, start trying to get opportunities online, start learning, start failing, and hopefully in a year's time or in five years' time, there will be like a messaging like, hey, this really helped, this really worked out. With that being said, this was Social Confos. We're back here next week, Tuesday at 9 p.m. The usual time, yes.